0: Today's guest is someone who's been surrounded by hospitality from a young age, a skilled leader who masterfully balances all parts of a project, resulting in a polished, finished product. Her work touches many major aspects of hospitality, designing spaces for hotels and senior living facilities. She started as a junior designer at Culpepper, McAuliffe and Meadows, and worked her way up to principal and vice president at c plus tc or ctc design studio ladies and gentlemen billy thorne welcome billy
1: thank you it's great to be here how are you today i'm so
0: good today it's uh you know this this nice fourth of july week to celebrate it um i find a lot of people aren't working this week so it allows me a time to like get ahead of things and like feel more in control than i normally am how about
1: you I usually take this week off and we took vacation early. So I'm in, and I gotta say having a day off on Tuesday, really, it, it messes up. You don't know what day it is, but it makes for a lovely week. I gotta tell you.
0: I, I completely agree. (laughs) And, um, and also I would also say like, as entrepreneurs, we kind of also never take time off as well. And I think what's really intriguing about your story and your journey unlike so many people today where you know two years is considered a long time um at a place of employment you started working as a junior designer at culpepper mcauliffe and matters and then stayed working there and then eventually became a vice president at the same company which rebranded to c plus tc to incorporate you as a partner um but i was just i'm very fascinated by that because like you seem to be the exception to the rule and i think it's a a real kind of source of inspiration for others that like kind of sticking with things really believing in your team and mentors to become who you are i that's why i wanted to have you here today and in light of that and thinking about that kind of structure um doing hospitality design how do you define hospitality and what does it mean to you
1: uh well hospitality ultimately is about kindness i would love to tell you that it's all about the fabulous hotel design work we do here but there are so many components that really make hospitality what it is and we're really just a small part of it it's all about the people and as far as being here for as many years as i have been it's you know finding your home finding your comfortable spot and i i've had two great Jobs in my career. Um, The first job was with Hirsch Bedner and Associates, and then have been here since. And I guess this was my home and a comfortable place and allowed me to grow. And now my job is to help others grow, which I really, really love. So it's fun to watch designers be excited about what they produce.
0: And I think that that's an important, maybe, point of departure for our conversation because, like, as we become leaders in our companies and our industries, one of the most important things that we can all do is really focus as much time that we have as possible on helping bring on the next generation of leaders, right? And it's this, it's this accretive um, process where, you know, it's not a zero sum game. It's a one plus one equals three, five, a million, whatever. But I think it's something we all need to make sure that we're being cognizant and intentional about as far as bringing up the next leader. So, and I think thank you for sharing that because I think what's really cool is to hear about how you were spotted as a, as a aspiring leader and brought in as a partner. And then how do you, how do you do that with your teams as well, to make sure that you're devoting time and energy to bring on the next um, round of leaders?
1: I will say for me, that's been a big, big evolution in ver- in a lot of ways. Um, one of the big evo- things that we don't learn in design school or architecture school is um, anything about psychology or how, you know, we don't really ter- learn about how to work with people, which is so, so important because there is not a mentoring process that is one size fits all. So, whenever you hire a new designer, it's kind of figuring out what system works with them. And sometimes, most of the time you can figure it out and they can gel with the team every now and then it doesn't work. And that's just, it's frightening. And you've to figure out what you've done wrong, but more, more often you figure out something and that helps them grow and helps them learn and really kind of inspires them to become a, a designer. And that's my favorite part is kind of trying to figure that out. But that took me a long, long time because the way I was trained doesn't work for everybody I hire. Um, and we're also in a very different world. And if I train people the way I was trained, it perhaps might not go over as well as I'd like.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: So um, it's, it's always a learning process. And I tell my team daily is when you stop learning, there's a problem because we all have to keep learning and that's part of what energizes us and keeps keeps the job interesting, so.
0: And Billy, I think kind of, I think what's interesting about this idea of bringing on leaders um, and nurturing the next round, some people don't wanna be. Some people are like, they have this really incredible um, work-life balance or work-life presence where you know they wanna be a designer but they wanna do the work that they're doing or an accountant or a whatever, and they're doing their work and they're happy with that because they have a million other things going on. And then there are those other ones who want to be a leader and want to help coach and bring the best out of others and, you know, be that one plus one equals three. How do you, do you have a, a way of kind of figuring out that? Is there like a litmus test, um, that you do, or is it kind of more, more natural as you're just going through and, and interacting and nurturing your teams?
1: It varies by person. And over the past three years, I've worked to evolve our review process to make it more of a coaching process. Uh We had this process that was two sheets of paper and it, you, you graded somebody and you came up with a score and you talked about that, but it really, it was still, it was a conversation, but it didn't really allow input. So our new form is something that goes in, we go into the meeting blank. And we start talking and it, it's kind of a, the questions on the form are more to talk about things that you don't talk about in your normal day to day and try and kind of see what people want to do next steps in their career. Cause you're 100% right that everybody's got a different track. And I learned that about 15 years ago, I was reviewing a designer and we were talking and it wasn't a great review. And she said, I don't want to manage people. I'm content doing what I'm doing. And I don't think if I had run into that person that was so honest and so comfortable with what she was doing, it would have taken me a lot longer to understand that because I was very career driven. What's my next step? What's my next level? But there are a lot of people that aren't that way. And it's 100% perfect because they're very, typically they're very, very good at what they do. Yeah. And it's understanding that that's their passion and they may not, that's where they're their comfort zone is. So, you know, finding people's comfort zones, what you want to take people out of their comfort zone at times, some people just can't go there. And again, that is what is so it, to me, when I figure that out about a person, it's very, very exciting to me.
0: Okay, so that's exciting to me, too. Because even though I, I believe that it's important that we all no matter what track we're on, kind of get out of our comfort zone, but maybe there's a like, if you look at this kind of path in the road, there's kind of a leadership and then maybe in your case, a design path. Um, but I still think it's important for those people who don't want to go on a leadership path to get uncomfortable because that's also how we grow. And mm-hmm. specifically is um, as designers or other administrative, um, if there's other administrative functions in your company, which I know there are, or, um, just other maybe not design-related ones, how do you ensure that even the ones, even the folks that might not wanna go onto a leadership path, how do you kind of challenge them in the seats that they're in so that they're getting uncomfortable, but also growing and not stagnant?
1: That's why the goal conversation is so important. I like, one of the things I like to ask is, what are your significant accomplishments? Mm. um and I usually have an idea of what I think their significant accomplishments are but understanding in their mind what the accomplishments are is really important and then talking about the next year's goals and I give anybody I talk to an opportunity you want to meet once a week once a month once a year and it changes per person as well but understanding those goals and Mm. just because they say their goals I tell them this that's not you're gonna get things that aren't on your goal list. Because again, you do have to p- put people out of their comfort zone because it does make them grow. And sometimes if you don't leave that comfort zone, you don't know that there's something else you like.
0: I totally agree. And it's like, I don't know, I'm sure we've all had trainers, whether coach, like physical trainers or coaches at some point in our lives, um, but they're not doing their job unless you're getting uncomfortable, right? Because then we we really yeah. find that next level. Um, I think, you know, to bring it back to your idea of um, as you're coaching and kind of, kind of finding alignment between yourself and then your teams, you said originally that hospitality to you is really about kindness. When you're in those meetings, sometimes people can be very like stressed out. Sometimes the coach or the manager could be as well. Um, How do you... Bring kindness into that so that everyone's comfortable That so that you can get it to the next level.
1: That's why I went to more of this conversation format because I think when you come in with a prepared document, you, like I've always felt like I had to have my say, but it's really not, it needs to be a conversation because what I assume, you know, I can't assume that I know what they want. So when you come in with an open mind about having a conversation about goals instead of here are your next steps, that allows it to evolve and be more directed towards that person's ideas instead of what my ideas are. Because the employee mentioned before taught me a huge lesson. What I thought she should be doing wasn't what she wanted to do. So that that moment was a real game changer for me and how I, you know, train people and talk to people and things like that. Of course we still need to make money. So, we can't do everything it's a business and everybody here really likes a paycheck is the other thing i've discovered in life so you yes. know we have to temper <laughs> the goals with a functional business so there's that component that has to be overlaid and sometimes there are those hard conversations where here's what we need to do so that you know we bill enough to cover your costs and we remain open as a company so that's just another layer of it um but as i've i've got um a son who is 24. So he's out in the working world. And I actually, and he's in the IT side of the world. So very different, but I love talking to him and kind of getting his feedback on what he likes and reviews and what he sees in his office. And I actually love talking to people in different industries. I've got friends that are very varied in what they do. And I get a lot of inspiration and ideas from talking to them. And they're not all achievable in every industry, but hearing different ways is also very helpful in how to coach and mentor people, I found.
0: I totally agree with you. And one of the things that I was intrigued by, maybe we can jump into that, into that now is like, as far as you going onto that leadership path and becoming a leader, you really, you appreciate mistakes. Because they're opportunities for learning. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, within reason, obviously there, there are there's a spectrum of mistakes, but like how do, how how did you come to see that mistakes are also opportunities for learning?
1: That's a hard lesson. And I learned that partly in parenting as well as working here. And I think as a parent, you so badly don't want your kids to make the same mistakes you did. And as a parent, I tried to make sure my kids didn't feel the same pain I felt over whatever issue it was. But at some point, as much as you think we should learn from history, which is very, very important, there are some mistakes everybody needs to make for themselves for them to really learn from them. So just hearing about them or whether you're reading from the history book or however you have heard about mistakes, sometimes we all just need to be able to make them. Mm. And I think we all have examples of that in our life, (laughs) that (laughs) we were advised one way and we went ahead and said, no, they don't know what we're talking about. Um, But it's kind of tempering those moments to minimize the disaster. And Mm. then sometimes the other person may be right too. And you think, oh, that was wrong when I was going to do it 10 years ago, but times have changed. So it's got you know it can be a detailing mistake or something what i would have called a detailing mistake but now we have ways to make it or produce it or you know even like that so sometimes i'm learning from mistakes i let them make
0: Mm. and then as far as uh, i really liked how you shared a minute ago with your talking about your son in a different world and then other peers of yours in different worlds than than design or hospitality designing you learned so much from them What are the things that kind of, what are some big lessons learned from people outside of what you do on a day-to-day that have really kind of helped kind of turn on a light bulb in your
1: head? Um, That's a hard one. I will say, I think the biggest thing, and it wasn't really from a person, but I think it's COVID. You know, Mm. going home and not being around people for over a year and trying to do this job, which hospitality requires other people. And then we're designers and we're very collaborative. So being isolated was really hard. And then the person in me, who's the more experienced individual, I kept thinking, okay, it's just because I haven't learned how I'm not as good on teams or I haven't learned how to show my ideas digitally. But here we are back in the office, back collaborating, and we're a hybrid work um, week. So that Everybody seems very comfortable with that in the days we're here, we do we are way more collaborative. And today is a day where nobody's typically in the office and we've got six people in the office because we've got a huge deadline and nobody felt like they could be as successful from home. I didn't ask for them to come in. I was shocked how many people were here when I walked in because I thought it was going to be very quiet to do this today. <laughs> so um, but I think a lot of people, a lot there are some people who totally when COVID hit, it was They were in their happy spot. And I think at first, a lot of us thought, oh, we've got so much free time. There's so many better things being at home. And then I think as time wore on, I think we realized how much we miss people. And some of us thrive on people more than I would have told you I was somebody who avoid, I was very shy and avoided people. I'm not that person that I thought I was when COVID started. I was like, I just realized I'm really kind of an outgoing person that loves hanging out with people. But it's sad it took a pandemic for me to understand that part of my own nature. But then it also started getting me thinking about, you know, what is hospitality? And, you know, how do you have hospitality when you're sitting at home by yourself? You can be kind to somebody on a video conference, but it's that physical togetherness, whether it's just in-person talking, whether it's, it's just all the aspects of what we consider hospitality and kindness and being good to people and all those kind of things really are part of what we do and I joke in the office quite often and we're a hospitality found even if we don't aren't in the hotel practicing hospitality we need to be hospitable people so that's how we treat each other
0: and it comes all comes back to that idea of kindness
1: yes right? well to me anyway and well right
0: I, i'm parroting you and I, <laughs> I really like but ultimately it's it's about like how you make those other feel others feel and you know as I, you know, I, I heard I just heard you say that you were shocked by how many people are in there today, because in this hybrid place, typically people aren't if you were to kind of think about is is there a, th- a thread you can find in that shock amongst all the people that are in the office today that could maybe help better find new talent or people who would surprise you like because that's a really good thing. And I, I would say that while you're shocked and surprised, I think a lot of it has to do with the people that you attract, right? So in a way you're, you're surprised, but I think that it's not by luck. I think that that's by design, whether you realize it or not. So can you think about like the types of people that you attract that would surprise you in that way?
1: I do like outgoing people and, Mm -hmm. um, I've got a good team right now and they're really working well I've, I've always got a good team i should i shouldn't say that but this team really seems to be enjoying being around each other and that makes a huge huge difference and they seem to really enjoy working together they will willingly help out each other on deadlines without me saying hey can you pitch in here mm. so that's when that happens that's organic that's what I love to see in a team is that willingness, whether it's, can you come look at this fabric and see what you think, or, Hey, I've got four hours. I'll help you pick up red lines. I love when the team is willing to do that for one another.
0: Mm. Agreed. And if you were to like select or attract those types of people, like how do you, is that an interview process? Is that like, how, what's that secret sauce that you think you have that attracts those people?
1: I don't know. It does, a lot of times it comes through in the interview process. And when I, I always interview somebody and then have somebody else interview them mm-hmm. and don't really tell them how I think. Cause I kind of want, you know, somebody who's been on the team a while to give me their feedback unbiased um, because they're gonna be working together. It's not just whether I can get along with them. The team needs to get along with them. So there are times where I their portfolio is fabulous and I'm thinking we should hire them. The talent's there, it's great, but it's hard to even have an hour long conversation. So then I set them up with somebody else to say, was I having an off day? Did we just not click? But usually with my team, we have the same kind of gut instincts. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when you started off in this industry, you were at HBA, Hirschbender. Mm-hmm. How did you find them or how did they find you? Like. Can you, like, where we're talking about how you're attracting people now to build this great team, do you think there's any similarities to way back when, when whoever from HBA or Hirschbedner found you?
1: Well, I, um, I, when I graduated, there was a recession, the evil R word, um, mm-hmm. so there were no jobs, and in Texas, it was really horrible. So I heard that Atlanta was still a strong city, came here, slept on a friend's sofa for a month, and... Partially, I came here because my dad was a purchasing agent and had worked with HBA on two recent projects, and so he had actually helped me get the interview with HBA. So, that's how they found me, and I'm surprised. I think there was some favoritism there. I'm not going to lie because I graduated with an architecture degree, so I was probably a long shot as far as somebody to hire. I didn't have your typical interior design degree, and but I was hired mostly to draft details, which worked mm. great. Um, it was an amazing experience. Um amazing mentor um sam who was
0: that oh oh great
1: yes yes so um and then you know the recession hit there and so it was time to kind of come up with plan b and i've been here since this is this was plan b and i've been here since
0: Uh, so similarly i think one of my first tastes of our industry i was an intern at hirsch Bedner, but in Mm -hmm. santa monica but you know just think about these enormous Mm -hmm multinational design firms attract such great people and it's really it's a great kind of first step to kind of see Mm -hmm. who are the people that are in this industry and like what kind of a path could i help find myself and i'm still friends with a lot of them and i still joke with them that i was their intern
1: (laughs) i do too i mean i'm still good friends and keep in touch with most people and then you know, here in Atlanta, in Atlanta, we have a lot of HBA alumni. So, and there's a lot of camaraderie in that group as well, just sharing those stories. And there's a great group of people in the office here still.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, how many people, I, cause I think like, if you look at all the, all the folks that came from, you know, an HBA or a Wilson or like those other kind of foundational design firms, like, one thing that i really I appreciate about them is whenever someone else left to go start their own, they were very, in a way, very supportive. Like, yes, do mm-hmm. this. Like, this is your path. Can you share any kind of similar experience about that?
1: I don't. I don't really have a story to tell about that. Um, but there's never. I don't, i there's never been negative, any negativity. It's always been positive. You're 100% right on, but it's interesting you bring that up because we're not seeing the number of alumni with, from Wilson and HBA as we used to. And so that's been a conversation of training in our office because so many people, when they came from that environment were trained, whether it was filing system, drawing setup, spec style, and without, the alumni coming there, it's turned into a different training method for us. And we it took us a while to realize that's why we're like, why are people not understanding this? Because they hadn't that wasn't their foundation where if we probably look back at how many what percentage came from one of those big hospitality firms then and now, it's very different. And we're having to do a lot of that groundwork training that whether HBA or Wilson did it before.
0: Oh, wow. So that's interesting. So it's almost like all that kind of administrative file architecture, whatever. They would just kind of come in knowing how a system works. And this was like the system, the Dewey decimal system of how we're all working. But now they just, they don't, they don't have a context. So now you're having to teach it. And I bet that takes a lot of, a lot of time in your onboarding as well.
1: Well, and that's what we're learning is we need a bigger, better onboarding process, because there isn't that legacy there. But we've also been able to hire some great designers that have come from different types of design. And it does take some training, but it's been really interesting to watch those designers grow. You know, when they find out they can customize something instead of always having to buy it out of a catalog, or Mm -hmm. just kind of the things that hospitality allows you to do are very different. And it really is kind of an energizing thing to expand your design horizons, I think.
0: Hmm. And I okay, so now let's go with that word of energize. And I like the idea of energizing and kindness for the next question that I have, because I know in in our earlier conversations, um, I didn't realize but you're you love practicing yoga. Yes. And if you were to Okay, so now, you know, we've talked about all this stuff within the company. If you were to think about what yoga has taught you about yourself and how, and and energy levels and dealing with others. Is there any correlation or like, what did yoga teach you on your path of leadership?
1: Um, yoga really kind of balances me and some, and I guess calms me down. It, it really is kind of that place and um, it's physical as well as mental and emotional. It's, it's kind of a, it's that's so hard. <laughs> um, there are a lot of good lessons, and a lot of them are about kindness to people, mm. and you know, being having kind words, kind thoughts, being kind in your heart. Those are all things we talk about, and just kind of thinking about others. It's a big premise of yoga. Um, the other part of yoga I love is it's a really good workout, and I enjoy feeling like I've accomplished something in my current role. I feel like there are days when I work long hours and I go home and I think, what did I do today? I didn't, I didn't check one box off on a to-do list. So sometimes a yoga class gives me a sense of accomplishment that I finished something, but my job is really kind of making sure the studio's going. And it's hard to quantify that daily.
0: Totally. And I think, I don't know, one of the things that I've learned over time, and it's funny how this happens with age, but, you know, we're also, we're often thinking about like our intellect, our intellectual selves, our emotional selves, but oftentimes we neglect the information that our body's giving us. And if you think about this, uh, our body being kind of like the computer, aside from our brain, like it all has to work together for the brain to work. Um, I think that our, our bodies are really great teachers that oftentimes are really overlooked, at least speaking for myself, like, I don't think we take enough time to really check in with the body.
1: Well, and that is something that yoga allows you to do is really check in with your body. Because one of the other big things that's come out in the past three years is you've got to take care of yourself, Mm. you know, and that's a big premise of yoga as well. And it's, you know, you got to take care of yourself so you can take care of others. And that is really important. Sometimes you think, oh, if I work a 12 hour day, I'm going to get more done. But sometimes working an eight or nine hour day and doing an hour of yoga gets you way further ahead than just, you know, pushing through and doing a 12 hour day, you don't necessarily accomplish more. So it's kind of shifting that mindset that I was trained in that the more hours, the better. I think it's about working smarter sometimes. Sometimes you do have to do the long hours. That's just part of this business, unfortunately. But it, um, but sometimes it's just being smart about what you're doing as well.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you know we, we're all on so many airplanes, but it's like putting your uh, your own oxygen mask on first.
1: That's exactly what it is. And airplane seats aren't as comfortable as they seem to be, and so yoga helps with that situation <laughs> as well.
0: A hundred percent. So you've had this fabulous career, working for others, working your way up through um, Culpepper into C, C plus TC. Um, Like, as you uh, kind of from when you started to where you are now, like, and and as you're looking out to the future, what's exciting you most about what you see out there?
1: You know, it's been that's been another mind shift. And I guess that's part of growing as mind shifts is it's that going from that to do list that's not you're you're not I'm not task oriented. My goal is to really keep people moving and finding the next great project and understanding that my job has shifted from writing specs and doing drawings and pulling fabrics. And it's an evolution. It's not one day you wake up and say, oh, I'm not doing drawings anymore. It's all of a sudden you realize, oh, I haven't gone into the drawing program in two weeks and I've been busier than anything. And. So for me, it's kind of been letting go of some things that I really, really felt like were my job and my responsibility and kind of taking on things that are really are my new job and understanding that that is, you know, sometimes doing marketing or business development feels like fun. So should I be paid to do that? Because I'm hanging out with a lot of people I really enjoy But it's very, very important for the future of the company. But understanding that that is work and it does, you know, I'm I'm tired after doing a lot of it. Um, That's been a really hard shift for me is understanding that and what that that's needed of me and to let go of some of the other stuff. I don't know if that answered your question, but it's one of the things I struggle with daily.
0: And again, I think that, you know, if we could walk away from this impacting You know, people earlier in their careers, like what you're saying resonates with me totally in that it's almost like I have to be sure after a trip or a trade show or really putting myself out there for others or even these conversations, we all need time to recharge. And it's, I think it's really important to like, time is our most valuable asset and most fleeting and most limited. And we're all given the same amount, whether you're Bill Gates or someone just starting out on their on their journey, I, we need to really be intentional about recharging and scheduling time for that. I, I completely agree with you.
1: And that's been a big lesson. I, I really have had a go, go, go mentality for a lot, a lot of years. So, um, and then, you know, taking the time to kind of enjoy the space you're in or the environment or wherever you're at. Cause I do love to travel. That's, whether I'm traveling to a hotel in a city that doesn't seem glamorous, I love it because it's a new experience. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just going to a new place is recharging, but in my in the frame of mind I'm trying to escape from, it was always, I've got to work, I've got to work, work, work. And then, but it's enjoying it and figuring out what that new environment is. So continuing to learn.
0: Agreed. and And I think, you know, whether it's, a really nice hotel or a resort or a crappy hotel or even just for me just being stuck on a six or ten hour airplane i always make time to recenter and recharge because those times when i'm able to be closed off it really helps me fill my battery and um again i i, I agree with you i think it's really important that we we take that time and for people starting, like I would block out time, whether it's meditating or going for a walk or, or just totally unplugging, it's really important to do.
1: And without you, it's funny, you brought up the airplane cause that's always been a major recharge time for me. I am that person who puts on my AirPods and gets out my book and starts reading. If I don't have some crazy thing I've got to work on. And when COVID hit and I didn't have that time, it was a real realization um that that was that time i'd taken on airplanes or whether it was being in a hotel room at night those are where i took taken those moments yeah and when COVID hit there weren't those moments so it was kind of trying to figure out how do i recharge now because the old way i recharge was not available to me
0: and it's crazy how without being intentional about it you took that airplane time for your recharge and your get ahead and and just you time and I actually just saw there was this guy, I think in like the nineties, early, mid nineties, he, he paid like a quarter million dollars for unlimited flights on United. And oh. he had, uh, I don't know, 23 million miles flown, which I did the math divided by like 500 miles an hour. And I forget what else it came out to like, what was it year? I dunno, a couple years in a pressurized metal tube, which sounds terrible, but I'm probably a 10th of what he was. I think I did, then I did it on mine and I was like nine or nine or 10 months in a pressurized metal tube. And again, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going down to see the Titanic. Right. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is, is that I would use that time as well to recharge and to get ahead of things. and. COVID really also taught me that I need those times, and I'm not Mm -hmm. as good at scheduling those times, although now I'm traveling more over the past six or eight months. So I've had that airplane time, but it, it really showed me that when I wasn't doing that, I had to be very intentional about scheduling time to just meditate, be unplugged, catch up on things without new information coming at me.
1: I was in the same boat and I didn't love yoga at home. so. And you don't even talk to anybody at yoga. So I was shocked that it was that different practicing within a community versus on your iPad at home. Mm -hmm. But and then making the time, you're right, like trying to leave my desk to go do a yoga class. It was hard to really kind of justify that in a lot of ways. But it is it's so, so important. Uh,
0: So as you're saying that, it makes me think like one of the things I've also realized is look, I live out in Connecticut now and there's beautiful nature and hike. I go hiking all the time and it's great, but I miss living in Manhattan a lot, but because the, those other people that were around and I'd be walking to work and just looking at and like, just, they would like give me energy, right. Mm -hmm. And inspiration. And I miss that. So now it's like, I have to be intentional about putting myself into big groups of random people, because they also <laughs> they give me energy as much as nature does. And it's like uh, I found this interesting balance sheet between nature and just urban people overwhelm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so if we were to go back in time to when you finished University of Texas, you're you're under the clock tower, right? Yeah, it's the clock. They call it the clock tower, right?
1: That sounds right.
0: Okay. It's the big thing with the clock yep. and the, the bell. Okay. In the middle of campus. So the, the Billy I'm speaking to now magically appears in front of the Billy just finishing. Is it this? Hook him. Hook em. There we go. Hook em horns. I'm not a big UT fan because I went to the university of Southern California and you guys beat us in the national championship what? one year. And it really upset me. But,
1: uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> but anyway,
0: you, you appear in front of yourself and, um, you have advice. What advice does the Billy I'm speaking to now have to the the Billy just matriculating beyond the University of Texas at Austin?
1: Oh, to relax and <laughs> just follow some whims and not be so serious. Your career will come. You don't have to dive in the moment you graduate. Yes, a paycheck is pretty fabulous, but if you wanna take that trip, figure it out. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, if you want to go live someplace else, go do it. It's taking all those things, because the older you get, the harder it is, I think, to do that. Um, And a friend of mine says, once you buy that washer dryer, you're stuck. And it's kind of true. I don't know why (laughs) that happens. But it does.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. The washer dryer makes you stuck. And then I remember once trying to have my washer dryer unstick me. And I, I think, I believe it was when we moved to New York City. This was a long time ago from LA. And I, that washer and dryer were such an anchor. I remember putting it in storage because I was like, I'm not going to get rid of this. Meanwhile, like eight years later, I more than paid for the washer dryer.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I never thought about it that way. Thank you. But who doesn't love the
1: convenience of walking down the hall to throw in a load of wash versus going to have to the laundromat or whatever you have to do? I mean, (laughs) it is pretty fabulous when you get one.
0: (laughs) It is, but it's also, along with that comes, you know, some tethering, if you will.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's a grown-up move for sure.
0: So definitely everyone listening to this just starting out, don't buy that washer dryer. Just wait.
1: Make sure you're good and ready so you have that freedom. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's that's really fantastic thank you who who told you that by the way
1: it's actually a friend of mine that's she's uh she teaches at uva and um she's about 10 years younger than i am and i think it's what her father told her was make sure you're really ready to own that washer dryer
0: oh my god i didn't know the washer dryer was (laughs) such a (laughs) such a a checkpoint or a, a like a a milestone on the on the journey of life so
1: but if i look back it was for me totally <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so everyone if you come out of this really think about when what happened before and after you bought that washer dryer because i'm going to start thinking about that that's that's a fun exercise that's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> all right um well billy i just want to say thank you for being here and and investing your time in this and allowing our listeners to learn from you um, so I'm just eternally grateful. Thank
1: you. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun and good to share and talk about the future. Cause the future is exciting and bright.
0: Yes, it, it really is. Especially if you're looking at it with rose colored glasses. Um, no,
1: you don't even need those.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> some people do, yes. but, uh, if you, if people wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about, um, um, what you're up to, like how, how can they find you?
1: um, through the C plus TC design studio website, which we're launching a new website, I think within, I think before the end of the month. Oh, great. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, and then, um, that's probably the best way to reach out to me and I can give you my email address and you can add that in the contact info.
0: Okay, great. Maybe we'll just put in the LinkedIn there. That way you won't get overwhelmed.
1: Okay. I think that's about it.
0: I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.
1: Well, my biggest advice to youngins besides waiting to buy the washer and dryer is have passion for what you do, because that is so important. I mean, it just impacts so many things about how you approach your day to day and having that passion really makes it a lot easier and a lot more fun.
0: I agree. And it sounds so, um, I don't know, just like a sign you'd see on a wall or a pillow you'd see on a sofa. But it's true, because if you're if you're not living and working in your passion, things start to feel like work. If you are, it's really enjoyable and you're like in your zone, I like to call it the zone of genius, like where you're in your, you're living and working within your your natural gifts. And um, I think it's really important we should all do that. So I wanna thank you again and thank our listeners because without you guys, we wouldn't be here talking and we keep growing every week. And if this changed your idea, of hospitality or design, please pass it on to a friend because it's all been word of mouth and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.
1: Thank you.